We're back for part two of an interview with Rebecca Seidel, dairy farmer and cheesemaker in Pennsylvania. And we're going to dive into mental health in agriculture. And a quick caveat that should probably be given anytime we talk about mental health is that everyone's mileage varies a lot. And for some people, medication is always going to be part of the picture. Other people can get what they need out of routine and lifestyle changes. It is so individual and very dependent on the situation. So in case we need to be reminded, nobody on this podcast is a medical expert. This is just some folks talking about their personal experiences with jobs and mental health, including agriculture. Let's go. Ah, mental health and farming. Oh, heck yeah. Like, any great thoughts there? Love that. I do. Well, I can tell you, first of all, uh, let me tell you why farming works for me and why I made the decision to go into farming. Yeah. Um, Because that'll give a a little bit of a snapshot into my mental health. I can talk about other mental health issues (laughs) from there. Yeah. Um, But in 2008, I was in grad school, and uh, I had been dealing with panic attacks, which I did not know were panic attacks. Um, and obsessive compulsive issues for about two years. Uh, and I, had, I was in grad school. I was working as a secretary. I was pretty medicated. I was going to therapy. Uh, and it was getting better, but I wasn't the person, you know, I, I wasn't, I was functioning, but I wasn't functioning well. Like thriving. Really. Um, yeah, and I went to my first conference, and I suddenly realized that oh my gosh, if I go into academia, I'm going to have to be in hotels and travel. And somehow that had never <laughs> dawned on me, so I went to my first conference. Yeah. And I hate traveling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I know some people like vacations. I do not know why. Mm-hmm. They seem like the most stressful thing ever to like <laughs> go somewhere else and like have to find a place to eat in a strange city and stay in a hotel and like find everything you brought with you before you leave. Um, and you know it was also this economic downturn in the 2007-2008 my husband had just graduated from college and was having trouble finding a job in his field and I started working half I started working weekends on a farm Mm -hmm. Um, and what farming did for my mental health at that point um, is it made me more active and it made me have to focus on something bigger than I was. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times I'd be at home, I'd be ruminating, um, I would, you know, I would get, I would psych myself out, my pack attacks would just like make me not able to move. And if you have a pack attack that you're not passing out from while you're milking, mm-hmm. you need to milk the cows through it. You can't just yeah. be like, hold on, I need a half hour breather. Right. Um, yeah. And I think one of the things that really helped me get off medication and get back to feeling like the normal human again was getting back into pharma. Yeah. Um, now that said, I also fully recognize that you don't should necessarily farm as a coping mechanism. <laughs> um, yeah. And also, it's not... Is it necessarily a healthy choice? No. <laughs> well, I don't want to say an unhealthy choice, but the... The, the routine was good for me. The mm-hmm. physical activity was good for me. The always having to think about something else that wasn't like an obsessive thought was really good for me. Yeah. Um, and it broke me out of that pattern. So that's my like good part of mental health and farming is that I think it, I think one of the ways that I got better was dropping out of like reading books all day yeah. and getting outside and moving around milking cows and having to work in something that was bigger than myself. Um, I know there's a lot of farmers that view farming as this, like, holy profession, and they should be more for doing it. Um, and I don't think that's ne- not necessarily the case. I don't think that's the case. Yeah. But if you are, um, if you know you need to get out and know those cows need to be milked and know those cows need to be fed, you're part of a, you're part of something that's larger and functioning more than just, like, going into a secretary's job and putting paper in the bureaucracy. Like, I know that's very important, too. Right. But the, the necessity of it was really was important to me. Yeah. On the flip side, I think a lot of people hide in dairy farming from mental health problems. Yeah. Um, <laughs> after I read Moby Dick, I'm like, holy crap, these wellers are dairy farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you have these people who like don't quite fit into society, who are like loners, who like want to go off on their own and not have to interact with like people in town. That's mm-hmm. kind of the way dairy farmers are. Yeah, um, it's, it's kind of like the ideal profession for like the socially disinclined, like anything in agriculture. And also, I'll say I'm also I, not only that social anxiety, but I'm really bad at communicating with farmers too. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm, you know, I kind of grew up in like an intellectual farm family, mm-hmm. and then I went to grad school, and it takes me about five minutes after a conversation ends to figure out what a farmer was talking about, yes, or like figure out what the correct response should have been to that. Yeah. Because uh, I, I, I have no, I can't really bullshit. I don't know how to do that well. Yeah. And I don't know how to kind of like do the like good old boy conversation that's not in my intellectual makeup. It's a whole different um, language. It's a struggle. <laughs> it is. And, I, and I'm just not good at it. Like I was, I heard it a lot growing up. I was always a listener, not a participant. Yeah. Um, so, but I do, but if farmers in general, dairy farmers, I think, and they, this is probably true of other farmers, but that's just where my experience is. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes that they're doing what they're doing. They're doing a career that suits their, their, their emotional needs or their mental health needs. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, working a 40-hour-a-week job would give them too much time with their demons or um, – would, you know, they, they wouldn't be able to be polite enough to people for that many hours a week. I know I have trouble with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, and, you know, my mom had kind of a hard childhood, and she used to say to me, like, you know, Becky, on the days I'm feeling kind of sad about my life, but I shot myself on a couch trainer accidentally, I feel a lot better. Yeah. Um, which is, that's an interesting interesting uh, idea of actually shocking yourself to make yourself feel better but I think I think for some people it's uh, farming just works with their own personal demo yeah. or own personal work and I think it's sad that dairy farm is kind of like reserved for um, this kind of like traditional farm family white male segment of population because I think there are other people out there would enjoy this life. My husband's always kind of like, no, trust me, other people do not want to dairy farm. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it would be nice if more people had access to this as a possible career choice. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we're here in Fayetteville, which is a, a very large military town. And, um, a lot of people retire here because like they might not be in the military anymore, but they've been part of it for so long that just like, they kind of need to be around it. Because that means there are people there who get, like, I don't want to say, like, what they've been through, but, like, they get the life. Like, they, like, in the military, you don't have a lot of things. You're kind of, like, anything could happen at any moment. Um, like you kind of mentioned, like, it's not a paper pusher, like, nine to five kind of job. It's it's very intense, and you kind of are always having to um, put what's going on with you personally on the back burner <laughs> for their larger thing. And that can be you know, apparently that works out pretty well for a lot of people and it can be really hard to make that transition. Um, I had a waitressing job once, which is nothing like the military, but it did have the thing where like, there's constantly some, like it's constant fires that need to be put out. Um, so yeah. you, you don't ever have time to stew in your own drama. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's kind, of, that's kind of what farming's like. I'm actually finding that having a toddler is very similar, mm-hmm. but it is kind of like what farming is like, you know, recently a friend who had moved to Chicago came home to get married a lot of friends kind of trying to talk to me. So I'm like, so what do you do for fun around here? And I'm like, I had absolutely no answer. Because <laughs> I never wake up thinking like, what am I going to do today for fun? Like right. that is, you know, there's never a Saturday and I'm just like, oh, you know, maybe I'll go see a movie. It's not that I don't go to see movies or anything, but like when I wake up in the morning, my first thought is like, all right, the cows need to go out. Right. I'll go and put the cows out. I need to feed the kids somehow. Okay, then here's this checklist of about like 45 things that really should get done. And, like, none of them are actually going to get accomplished today, but which one do I want to make a dance at? Yeah. And I like that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, because, the, like I said, I never have to wonder. I don't, truthfully, all the time I'm having fun. Like, <laughs> I mean, there, there are bad days, but there, I can be doing really crappy work and enjoying it. Yesterday I spent most of the day cutting balance wine off manure spreader beaters. Oh yeah. I had a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, I don't mind being covered in manure. It was kind of fun. I got to spin the beaters. I got to do so. It was like a, a puzzle of what needs to be turned to what way. If I cut right. this one, will this one come off? 
Right. Um, so there's, I, I, I don't, I don't want for entertainment, and I find joy in what I do every day. And a part of that is I also, you know, my husband has a real job. Yeah. But I get to work with him, mm-hmm. and working with him is is absolutely fun. Um, I think I wish more people knew this, but like a lot of people have their dream job, dream job in mind. Yeah. But your dream job, like you can do exactly what you want to do, and the people around you suck the job will suck. Yes. Um, it's much better to be in a, an environment doing something that you had not anticipated enjoying mm-hmm. with a good work environment, good bosses, good people around you yeah. than to have this like perfect dream career where you're doing a thing and mm-hmm. people suck. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I've had some jobs where the thing we were doing was great and the people sucked and it was terrible. And like, again, the waitressing job, the job itself was terrible. It was like a cheap Mexican restaurant and they teared to the the staff like crap. But everybody else on the crew was super because you all had to like pull together to survive this. (laughs) So yeah, that happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. And like you kind of mentioned like the pulling the string out of the the manure spreader beaters and like I don't know like gross jobs are like kind of kind of like engrossing in their own way like I love cleaning drains because yeah I don't know you're just like yeah get it out of there I don't know it's nasty but I feel like I've, how do I, this? I think I think you're entirely right about the jack of all trades thing mm-hmm. um, that people can't do everything yeah. but I do think it's how does it it is nice as a human being to encounter mental puzzles they do not think you would encounter. Yeah. Um, like, and I, it's so fulfilling, and I don't know if it's a gender thing that growing up, my parents are pretty good, but, like, they didn't give me the whole, like, okay, here's how to do all the farm equipment work, or here's how this machinery works. Right. So I'm just like, oh, okay, this is what's malfunctioning on the manure spreader, or when I figure out how to rewire a milker on my own. That's very emotionally satisfying to me. And I don't know if I'm fulfilling some sort of, like, gendered expectation that, oh, I never got to do this. Like, <laughs> I'm not, my brother has a legless and I did not. And, like, this is just, like, fulfilling some jobs and drama if I actually really like doing it. <laughs> but I like, you know, I really like, I like the problem-solving, the spatial aspect of it. You never, how do I say it? Farming is both very regimented and you never know what you're going to encounter. Right. Um, and I enjoy that. Now, here's the thing, and this is entirely real, right? When something needs to be done by a professional, I am totally willing to call it a professional. Yeah. Because I have seen, like, far too many half-assed things mm-hmm. that become long-term problems. Yeah. You and actually, if you want, to, if you want, to, if you want a, uh, a story about my previous job, that's not too terrible. <laughs> yeah. um, we, we had a barn put up by a company. And then my boss and some other employees decided that they were the ones who were going to put all the dividers in the barn up and put the head gates up and put the gates up and put the water in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, like they bought, bought someone else to do all the concrete work, you know, and they had to lay the water in them. By the time the water got done, like, first of all, we spent weeks digging a channel to put the water line up. Right. Then we picked all the rocks out of it. Mm-hmm. Then he finally got a plumber to come in and tell him he needs to go deeper. Mm-hmm. And they got the plumber to put the line up. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that line could have been done in a week, not three months. <laughs> yeah, were you tweeting and about then, this earlier? Because I was like, I know you got some great story about a pipe, and that sounds like it was it. Yeah. And then, like, <laughs> the, all the gates. So the cows had to go into the barn. So they had to walk out of this barn. This was a series of pens for dry cows or for overflow cows. And they had to walk into the barn. Hmm. And all the gates were put up in such a way that they swung toward the cows, not toward the barn the cows need to go in. No. They were carrying this cow. Yeah. And this cow was, like, really maternal and, like, you know, like she kind of looked to fight you, but she hadn't decided that she can take you yet. Yeah. And you have to wait and swing the gate and back up towards her while holding the cow. Uh-huh. And, like, and every single time I did this, I'm just like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever dealt with. And I've dealt with stupider things. But, like... <laughs> It was just one thing that if you had had, first of all, if you had stopped and really thought about it and made talk show with three people, you would have been like, hey, I'm making a fundamental error in this. Right. Because um, I'm pretty sure I could have, like, figured it out if you, like, walked me through and pretended to open gates. Yeah. Um, but also, it was just a sort of thing that someone else who, who had planned this and knew what they were doing would have done it right. Mm-hmm. And now this barn has built into it. Well, two things. One, it's, a, it's an inefficient thing. Yeah. And two, it's actually kind of a danger because, like, you know, sometimes when you need to get away from 
mm-hmm. you need to get away from a cow, not like stop and swing a gate towards you. Yeah. Um, and so, how do I this? There are some things that if you're doing something really, really big, mm-hmm. it's, it's good to get someone at. You know, I'm having, right now I'm having plumbers come in to do my, to put the water in my milk house tomorrow. Yeah. Super excited about it. And I'm totally letting them do it. I might dig a hole in the back, so they have to spend less time digging a hole, but that will cut down my total, like, hours they're working. But I am not, like, screwing anything out of the ground. Like, that, they can do their job. That's great. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, any... Oh, man. I'm working with a lot of folks who are building kind of, like, their, their first greenhouse or their first yeah. indoor farm. And, like, it's really cool because we have so many more people coming to the industry right now because it's a thriving industry. Um, lots of opportunities. It's awesome. Yeah, but you also have a lot of people who are new to it. So there's kind of like some precautions they, they don't know to take yet. And um, so it's it's like my job to help them through that. And so you're like, be chill, be chill. They didn't know that you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Good times. It happens a lot. And then, you know, it's, it's frustrating because, um, you know, if you build something wrong for something in agriculture, like it can be really dangerous, like to the stock, to the people. You know, it's dangerous. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like hard. you need like how did this what right now I'm I'm working on redesigning not redesigning, but like she making my parents' old farm work for me. Yeah. Um, my grandparents bought it in nineteen forty five. Uh, the main barn is from eighteen ten, they built an extension onto it. Not nineteen forty five, nineteen sixty two they bought it. Yeah. And it was they put the extension on in nineteen sixty two. And it's designed for, you know, a 48 cow dairy and for my dad and grandpa working. Yeah. And I'm just like, hey, I'm a five foot two check. <laughs> um, I am in my mid 30s. Mm-hmm. I also need to do cheese production in addition to doing cow stuff. Mm-hmm. And I need this farm to work for me. Yeah. Um, that means like the gates, I need to be able to lift up. Yeah. Like I know galvanized gates, we have a whole bunch around. They are ancient and they're heavy and they do not like break down but like if I can't lift it it doesn't work right it doesn't you matter know? if it's not broken because it also doesn't work <laughs> I need I need the milk line to be within my reach mm-hmm. I need things to be the right weight for me to lift up not that like I'm willing to work hard I'm willing to do work I'm willing to get muscle but like I need a farm that works for me and like every time my dad has an idea I'll be like hey that's great but is, does, is that going to work for me to do it alone um, or like, you know, if there's an emergency, can I wait till my husband gets home from work to take care of something? Yeah. Um, and that's what I'm constantly asking myself when I'm doing these, like, uh, when I'm just, when I'm working on plans is like, so, so how can I do this? Is this, is this designed for someone my size? You know, I spent years when I was milking at the bar I used to milk and I got to the last three hookups, I would need to climb above the cows mm. to hook up the milker. Mm. And I was just like, this you know, because and you need to like tilt tilt on your milk line to make it fluid and bulk tight correctly, so one side is always higher than the other. Yeah. But like, maybe I'll do that for someone else, but I'm not like playing monkey for myself. Like I am not. <laughs> my climbing days are over. I'm also, I, and I might be, maybe, I'm, I'm trying to build. I'm trying to slowly scale my operation. Before I had my son, I was ready to go whole hog into a big cheese operation, and right now I'm trying to put in a smaller financial investment that we can with just to mitigate my risk. With you know, now I have other responsibilities other than myself. Right. Um, so I'm starting off bucket milking, which is most milk goes into a milk line and drains into a bulk tank, yeah. and this I'm going to be milking into a bucket and carrying it and dumping it into a filter that will take it into the bulk tank. Right. Um, and I keep trying to convince myself that it's a good idea. I think it is. <laughs> um, I mean, it's going to save a lot of money. So, and the other thing is, when I was working on my previous farm, I saw so many uh, bacterial issues that would happen because an automatic wash-up system would not run correctly. Oh, my God, um, yeah. There would be, like, for our, our chemicals were kept in a separate, a room separate from mm-hmm. our milk facility. And so sometimes a 15-gallon uh, barrel of chemicals would empty out and no one would pick it up. Or the hose that the systolic systolic pump would pump through, the hose would wear through. and But you never would see the chemicals go in. They would just trickle in. And there were four different points that came in, and you could watch all the points at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the chemicals were uncovered, they didn't know if they were in the line. And to me, there's just something about 
washing the buckets myself and scrubbing things out myself that makes me feel more comfortable. Right. Um, and like, yes, I could just put in stopgap measures that like every week I run all the chemicals and wash them and make sure everything's working correctly. But, you know, the, the, the diaphragm would break um, in the washing unit for the bulk tank, and you wouldn't know it. Like, you wouldn't know it until you realized it wasn't being washed correctly and took it apart. Yeah. Um, and when I'm dealing with food for human consumption, I kind of want, like, I want my hands on the washing of it. Yeah. You know, like, there's just something I would, it would happen a couple times a year that, like, something would break, <laughs> we would get a high bacterial count, we'd start this, like, detective issue to figure out like what had gone wrong this time and yeah. it was always a systemic issue with the milking system itself yeah well and I guess for listeners who who aren't as familiar, um, sanitation for the for dairies and for the milk line itself is like so crazy involved. Like for to clean out the milk lines, like you know, yeah. you have the claw and then the milk flows through it to the tank through some pipes and stuff. And like, um, I don't remember where I was seeing this once. I was like reading up on dairy sanitation for some reason, and it was like, well, you have to start with, uh, shoot, so you can't use wash water that's too hot because that's going to cook the milk onto the sides yeah. of it. Yeah, what you do is you, you do warm water rinse. Mm-hmm. Um, you get like you can't do hot; you don't want to do cold. You want warm water to get any remaining milk proteins out of the line. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents had an interesting setup when I was a kid that that milk would then that water would then rinse into the cow trough, mm-hmm. so that we weren't wasting that water. Okay. And also, because when cows drink warm water, it doesn't cool their rumen, so they, it's more efficient because the buyers don't have to work to heat up the milk or heat up the water again. Hmm. Um, but you first do a warm water rinse, and then you do a hot water cycle with a CIP, a clean and place detergent, but mm-hmm. normally chlorinate it. Yeah. Um, that, that water should be, I think, around 160 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, when that goes to the pump, the, the wash line, you need a, an air injector to put slugs into the milk. So you're not just running water through, but you're going chuck, 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 chuck. You're getting little, like, puffs of milk to go through the line to wear out any, uh, to, to work out any of the um, milk protein still stuck inside. Yeah. And then after that drains out, you want to do a cold water sanitation rinse. Mm-hmm. Generally, I think best management practices want you to do the rinse actually right before milking so that everything's washed and all your milk proteins are dissolved, but then you're sanitizing it right do a sanitizing cycle right before you hang the cows. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is not how like most systems are designed. Most systems do the rinse right afterwards. Because you're milking twice a day, so how long is it really going to be? Right. Um, if you're doing kosher, you actually need to have a sanitizing hot water rinse run through. Hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be 100 degree, 180 degree sanitizing hot water rinse to do kosher milk. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and so it was like... Um there's this like complex series of like first you have to do this temperature water then you have to do like mm-hmm. this temperature like alkali detergent then you have to you know yep. it's like this like ninja chop series right and so every yeah. time I'm <laughs> like I'm working with folks who are brand new to greenhouses and they're like how, how do we wash the greenhouse and they're so nervous and I'm like relax the good yeah. news is you're not a dairy <laughs> like every yeah, time yeah. And, then, and, then, and that's what I was saying about as far as as far as doing the additional step of food processing, yeah. you know, then you have to take all that into your kitchen and do like shoe rinses, mm-hmm. and you have to scrub out your cheese room on a regular basis, and you have to make sure mold's not growing anywhere, or the mold you want, because if you're doing like, you know, naturally rinded cheeses, or blue cheeses, or bloomy rinded cheeses, you want mold growth, so it's the right type of mold growth. Right. Um, and how to, like I said, taking that step from, I mean, I think farmers already actually have the decent basics of here's how you sanitize it for milk production. And then, mm-hmm. you know, keep in mind that that milk still gets pasteurized. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, how do I say it's food safety, and you know this, food safety is not like <laughs> this little thing. You don't just, like, get your cut-up orange segments in the grocery store and, like, everything's cool. Like, mm-hmm. there's... There's like a whole there's a life lot behind more it. That goes into it. Yeah, there's there's like a whole thing behind it. Yeah, and it's it's just kind of like really humbling because you read like back in the day, before we got really good at sanitation, like especially to make infant formula, um, like like if you couldn't breastfeed a kid, that was basically a death sentence, you know, like or find somebody who could nurse them because all the milk substitutes available at the time were like we didn't know how to make clean milk yet, and so it was like yeah. filthy. Um, so it, it's kind of funny to watch folks kind of be like, well, we don't need to do that really because they haven't seen what happens when you don't. Um, cause yeah, I mean, there's, like, there's a lot of crazy in the, in the raw milk community. And one of the things I've heard is like, 
well, there's good bacteria in the milk that kills the bad bacteria. I'm like, no, that doesn't. That's not a thing. That kind of don't fight each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. Yeah, it's it's like okay. Well, if you turn it into a cheese, and so there's a lot of salt, and there's a lot of lactic acid bacteria who are making acid, then that makes it hard for pathogens to survive. But that takes two months, and is it thirty or sixty days curing period? I don't know. It's sixty. At least in my state, it's sixty days. Yeah, and it's not because the lactic acid bacteria like punched out the salmonella. It's just because they made a bunch like pooped out a bunch of acid that they can't live in. Um, yeah, yeah. A, I, will, yeah. I will say as far as working with raw milk versus pasteurized milk, because this is something you go back and forth on all the time. Yeah. Raw milk does, how do I say this? When you're making cheese with raw milk, you do get a better overall product as far as coagulation times and, um, like, firmness of the curd. Uh, you, just have, you get a better end product for working with raw milk. And like, like you said, you know, you're, you're also acidifying the milk in the process. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, like, with cheese, like, there's really good ways to do it. But I think folks kind of got, like, a little lost on the, <laughs> you know, there's there's yeah, a big difference. Milk. Yeah, well, like, fluid milk, like, if you think about it, it's never meant to be outside a body. Like, it is geared no. to go straight from the tit into the calf. Like, there's no middleman yeah. in there. And so it's not, no, yeah. I've been, I've, I've been actually uh, raising calves on cows this summer, which is something I've never done before. Oh, what is that um, like? And in all my previous experiences, my previous, I should like, the male mentors in my life have never really have kind of poo-pooed the system having calves on cows. Yeah. And I'm seeing, like, such better, first of all, I'm seeing, how do I say this? There's always this idea that, like, cows really super need to be milked, and the calves mm-hmm. can reimagine the udders pretty well. Like, mm-hmm. And then someone who's also breasting at the same time, I kind of see this because <laughs> your body figures out kind of what it needs to make for your kid. Yeah. And, like, it's not, you're just not doing it twice a day. Like, they're just like, hey, afternoon snack, I don't want to go and get any water. Yeah. Um, so they're self-regulating pretty well. And I'm, you know, like I said, my, my previous boss was a bit low. I say, like, well, you don't know what's on that nipple, and you're introducing contaminants to the udder, and the calf could be ingesting pathogens. And, like, these calves are so freaking healthy. <laughs> like, they are, I have at least, like, wild herd of babies right now. Yeah. Um, and they're, how do I say I've raised calves in hutches before. I'm having, I'm having no digestive issues. Mm-hmm. They're very psychologically well-developed. They're chewing cud early. They're ruminating earlier. They're eating grass earlier. <laughs> they're getting really good muscle growth because they run around like maniacs all the time. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to eventually take them and put them in a separate pen and have some human-calf interaction because I think that if they're going to be, like, viable milk animals, I do need to bond with them myself because I have a very – I've heard that I – and it's very hands-on. Like, I can walk up with my arm around a cow and take her somewhere, and I like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I want to be able to figure out how to foster that. But, like, right now, the health I see out of these calves is just – Amazing compared yeah. to like raising them in the hutches. Oh, that's They're great. Just, it's it, 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 I, I can see the difference in their body condition and in their behavior. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so like, what is managing like calves? Like, do you have one calf per cow or do you have multiple? Like, did you do the grafting thing? How did that go? Right now, actually, no, I do have one grafted. I, I lost actually, I lost a cow earlier this year and she had a calf. Mm-hmm. And I got her calf on to the next cow who crashed. I, I, uh, I followed it for a few days and then I transitioned it. And all I did is I put them in together and he was just like, hey, milk's here. And she already had her own calf, so she was kind of in like lactating mode mm-hmm. and like maternal mode. You still see that she's slightly annoyed when he comes up. Like she totally nurses him, but she's kind of like, oh God, that's very young. <laughs> she's like, all um, right, whatever. But, but it went really well. I'm hoping I have three due at the very end of the summer. Hmm. Oh, or the end of my like, uh, uh, freshening season, my calving season. Yeah. And one of them is a three, is a two-teated cow. Well, she's kind of two and a half. She's like a three-teated cow. Yeah. And I'm hoping to get the two calves from the other two cows onto her and just have them butt around being a dairy dam and seeing how that goes. Right. Um, this is one of my, like, I recognize that this is a, like, kind of a poor uh, financial farming choice, but <laughs> this is my oldest cow. She's going to be... Nine this September. Yeah. And she never really produced a lot, and she lost two quarters to a drug during a drive period at my previous job. Eek. Um, and she's like, so she's not a very productive cow. 
But yeah. she's fantastic looking, and she's like the boss in charge of the herd, and she's very protecting of the herd. Like she's not aggressive towards me. Yeah. But she'll chase dogs, she'll chase foxes, she'll chase geese, she'll chase groundhogs, she'll chase skidloaders. Like yeah. she's she's kind of, <laughs> I don't want to say the bull, but she has this very like important functional management position in the herd. Yeah. And if I know something weird is going out there, she'll like she'll bring the cows in. So she's kind of I, I she's not a good. Uh, a, a like a good herd productivity investment, but like I don't want to be her because she's a healthy cow, mm-hmm. and she's also she brings like stability and cohesion to the herd. Right. Well, she's like helping run the place, you know. So yeah, like she's she's, <laughs> do, she's doing a very and okay, she's super healthy. I mean, if you ask if you want if you want to ask like if I, what what issues I have with my own job with dairy farming, mm-hmm. um, the one problem I do have is that a cow's life is based on her fertility. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if you can't get pregnant and if you can't have babies, you can't, like, keep being a cow because that's how milk is made. Right. And and taking a healthy cow and beefing her because she's not financially productive is a little bit hard for me. Like, I am totally cool with, like, you have a sick cow, you have a cow who's suffering in some way eating her. Mm-hmm. But when you take a perfectly healthy cow and eat them because they're not, like... Welcome to the Handmaid's Universe. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And like, he has his own microcosm with cows. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it, it just doesn't quite feel. It, it doesn't feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Goodness. Yeah, it's a lot. Like, I don't know. Um, I feel like a lot of the stuff that I learned about like nursing and how it works for people, because like people don't really talk about it. Like, we're doing it more now. But I was really surprised to learn, like, just how little people really understand how lactation works. Like, you know, like, babies don't suck the milk out of there. There are muscles in breast tissue that eject it. Like, that's how it works. And yeah. so they talk about us Cal- all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh. Cal- <laughs> teeth sphincter. Yeah. I, was, I was actually kind of like, when I first realized that, like, humans don't necessarily have teeth sphincters, I was kind of like, mm-hmm. well, that's disappointing. Like, <laughs> it was nice to have, like, one centralized hole. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, and so, like, um, uh, it's interesting because in the dairy industry, like, like, lactation is your life, like, it's your livelihood, and so people understand it really well, like, every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the business knows exactly how boobs work, um, <laughs> but, like, humans trying to operate their own, like, we don't really talk about it in that, like, um, level of detail, I feel like for us, like, if you can get the baby to latch on, we're like, that's great. And we don't really talk as much about like just the biology of what's happening in there. That there's like the letdown reflex is a thing that it takes muscle action to make it happen. So no, you can't just passively nurse. Like you have to be in a place where you can be chill. So oxytocin can work. And like, that's a central part of life in dairy and the cows have to be relaxed so they can have that reflex happen. Yeah. We don't talk about that with people, you know? No, I, I, so I was, and first of all, I want to jump off of when you talk about females or, or being a woman and lactating and pregnancy and dairy farming. I think that's something that <laughs> I, I should come back to there. Yeah. But like, I was like, I was entirely prepared to have like a traumatic lactating experience yeah. because like I knew so much about lactation and I also have read all these horror stories about breastfeeding, and I was like, okay, I'm so emotionally prepared to, like, first of all, if I can't breastfeed, that's fine, no pressure on me, and, like, I know all this stuff about cows, and I would, like, whenever I go to the hospital, the lactation consultant would be like, well, let me tell you something. I, I know what you're talking about, I got you. <laughs> you know, you'll have to say it twice, like, I, I know what's going on here. And I have, like, the easiest breastfeeding experience in the world. Okay, like, thanks. absolutely no problems, like, very little pain at the beginning, like, mm. Natural. It's kind of like, God, I got a lot of wasted knowledge here. Right. Um, <laughs> but I will say, how to, you know, I don't, how do I say this? Along with the concept of like, hey, there's no boy cows on dairy. Mm-hmm. It's really weird that uh, dairies are this female-focused but operation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the entire mechanics of production depends on lactation, pregnancy, birth. Mm-hmm. Um and first of all, that, that generally dairy farmers, for the most part, are men who are in charge of them. Mm-hmm. 
um, is is kind of weird because I think not weird, but I think women have a lot of insight on what cows are going through. I do think maybe for a male, it does help you to personalize the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that was me as a woman who hadn't gone through pregnancy when I was around my second trimester. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, like, if I have a cow who's, like, four months pregnant laying down in the barn, I will let her lay there and come back and milk her. <laughs> like, before I was just like, Roslyn, why are you taking a nap? And now I'm like, I get why Roslyn wants a nap. And that is cool with me. Um... I, I, I became a lot more, and you know, sometimes you have grumpy cows, and you're like, why is this cow grumpy? Well, she could be having a bad day. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have a bad day when you're pregnant, and you can have different pregnancies. I've seen cows go through, like, this pregnancy is really easy, and then their next pregnancy, they're really tired during it. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with labor. Generally, if you have a cow who can give birth easily, they give birth easily. If you have a cow that's tr- trouble, mm-hmm. you know, we had a cow who every single cow she had was dead. Like, Ooh. Yeah. She was fine, but like she could not give birth to a live calf to save her life. Hmm. Um, but like, but a cow can have complications. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that, how do I say this? Um, being a liberal female who is out there <laughs> living right now, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things I cannot wrap my head around is how dairy farmers who deal with birth all the time are mm-hmm. as conservative around women's choice as they are. Mm-hmm. Because you see bad shit mm-hmm. when you are working with pregnancies all the time at birth, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, I've been, you know, I've worked in my job. I worked with cows giving birth. Before that, well, my job as a child was to sit on the gate and tell my dad how the labor was progressing. So, like, I grew up, I've watched so many births. Yeah. Um, that I kind of, like, you know... But you, bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently, I had a cow die this year from um, high drops, which yeah. is um, a condition in which she, her body produced too much amniotic fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not catch her early enough. I started to assume she might have had twins because mm-hmm. it only, in cows, you only start really noticing it in the last month, month and a half of pregnancy. Yeah. And then I realized, wait, something's actually wrong here. And she probably had an extra couple hundred pounds of, amni- uh, of weight of amniotic fluid in oh her, and she started to have trouble moving. Yeah. And we, we put her down, and we did a C-section, a, po- uh, a terminal C-section, just to, like, I think that that actually kind of wanted to see the calf, because apparently this is, like, one in 5,000 attempts to uh, 7,000, and they hmm. videoed, so took a videotape that showed that it's best. Hmm. Um, and the calf was deformed and died soon after birth anyway. Oh, but, like, when you see as many bad things as, as you can see in farming. You know, we've had abortion storms, mm-hmm. uh, which is, that, that, that sounds like, what it is it's when you have a whole bunch of miscarriages at the same time? Because right. there's some sort of trigger, environmental trigger, either in the sea or in the water, mm-hmm. that causes a whole bunch of cows to spontaneously miscarry at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, when you've seen cows die giving birth multiple times, when you've seen how many things can happen in birth, I I have a hard time imagining the headspace that a lot of farmers are in mm-hmm. who would put a woman through that. And mm-hmm. maybe they just think, like, well, it's better in hospitals. But mm-hmm. I really think that, depending on the farm, um, a lot of cows have more support, postnatal support, than humans do. Yep. Um, because when you're on the farm, if, when I tell you the birth, you're like, let me tell you, what's going on with her discharge? You're walking past the cow every day, you're looking at what's in the gutter, you're yeah. seeing what she's passing, you're seeing if she has an infection, if she looks down, you're checking her temperature, mm-hmm. um, you're massaging her udder with creams, you're keeping her clean, you're, if she looks down, you're giving her mineral drenches, mm-hmm. you know. If you're a farmer, you're not a doctor, but you're, you're maybe like a nurse practitioner. Right. You're, uh, you're, you're checking on the health of your cows every day. And, like, being a woman is just, you know, sent home from the hospital. And once again, I have a very easy birth, a very yeah. easy recovery. But, like, I kind of wish I had a farmer there being like, so, uh, yeah, that's normal. Don't worry. That's cool. <laughs> Why don't you lay down? I'll take your calf for a while and have some hay. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. That was, that was how it is with, with the whole dialogue with maternal health. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, I'm not, I think cows definitely in some ways have it worse than people. Mm-hmm. But the focus of 
when you when you have a cow give birth, like yeah, calves are cute and adorable, and you can like they recede your herd. Mm-hmm. But your real goal is to have a healthy cow mm-hmm. um, because that cow is going to be productive for you. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish we'd at least take that theory to like human mothers too. That like mm-hmm. our goal is to have you be productive at the end of that. Yeah. Um, because you know you, you have value to, to the society outside of your cow. Yeah. I mean, I love my kid. I would totally give my life up for him at this point. Um, but uh, I'm surprised by how how conservative the politics are of dairy farmers, uh, knowing that they know this, and they must be able to separate out uh, the life of a cow and the life of a person, mm-hmm. um, which is weird. A lot of times when people are talking about uh, humane treatment of animals, they equate animal, animals to humans. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I wouldn't want my baby taken away from me, but they don't go to the point of equating humans to animals. Right. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me because I feel like you hear a lot of people saying like, oh, well, they must think we're just a vessel for life or they just want to control us. And you're like, I don't think they're thinking of us at all. <laughs> Let's give them a lot of credit. They're just not thinking at all. Like, um, there are a lot of things in women's rights where decisions were made that had nothing to do with women at all. Like when Wyoming was the first state to have women vote. It was just to get enough voters to qualify as, a, as you know, <laughs> to advance to status. In Utah, actually, um, like at some point, the U.S. government disbanded the Mormon church, which is not legal, but they did. And, uh, and part of the demormonization process as Utah was becoming a state was uh, women in, in like pre-federal, like Mormon Utah had been able to vote or back when it was a territory. And then post-federal intervention, Mormon women no longer, or just women in general, were no longer allowed to vote in Utah. And that was done because most of the women in Utah were Mormon. You know, like everybody else was like minors. So there were no women. It was just dudes. So if they could get rid of women who voted, then it would like allow non-Mormon. Like it was basically to to cripple the the Mormon vote. And so all these decisions about like, quote unquote, women's rights are really made with no reference to what is actually good for women. Like it's never about us. Like (laughs) we just don't even rate. So. And even, how do I say this, like, when you talk about, you know, forced birth, and, like, how do I say this, you don't just, like, go through pregnancy, which sucks, and give birth, which sucks, and then heal from birth, which sucks. Like, mm-hmm. some women are permanently crippled from, from giving birth. Some people never recover, like, their ability to not pee on themselves, or, yeah. like, their ability to carry things. It's like, their, their ability to, like, have a strong core again. Yeah. Um, and it's not just that, you don't just, like, get better like this fundamentally changes some women's bodies mm-hmm. um and that never comes into the, like it's just like oh it's a baby it's like you don't understand the trauma that a woman can go through giving birth <laughs> and, and, and also not only the trauma but the simultaneous like economic loss of trying to work while pregnant mm-hmm. taking the time off to recover mm-hmm. and hopefully you take time off to recover yeah um and going through birth. You know, I've said, that, you know, regarding giving birth, like, giving birth was the easiest part. Like, pregnancy was sucked more than giving birth, mm-hmm. and recovering sucked more than giving birth. Like, mm-hmm. I would totally give birth again if I didn't have to do the other two. Right. And I had the same experience, which mm-hmm. was non-traumatic. Right. Yeah, it's it's really funny to me when folks kind of talk about, like, in particular late-term abortions are, like, such a hot topic, and you're like, okay, sit down. I want you to think through this. Somebody's like, by the time you're that late in a pregnancy, you've already had to buy new clothes. Like, you've, (laughs) everybody knows you're pregnant. Like, who in their right mind who doesn't want to be pregnant keeps it until that point? You know what I mean? Like, this is 100%. Like, these are all, like, really traumatic, like, horrible, like, health things that are going on. Those are wanted children. And you know, and in the rare cases where it's not, it's because people made it so hard to get one in the first six months that they couldn't. And now we're here. And whose fault is that really? You know, so yeah. it's just, y'all sit down and think a second. Could you? Thank you. Oh, daring, man. <laughs> um, well, man, I don't want to take up your entire day. That was, that was really, really good though. Like, um, I don't know. Like there's just, there's so much in farming where you're like, our culture could be going in, like the farm culture could be going in such a different direction with this, but it won't, you know? Yeah, I think, I think there are so many opportunities in farming. And I will say, like, there is this cult of the local one right now. <laughs> but, like, I do like that the interest in farming might get different people into farming. Yeah. Um, that's not because the people who are, that, there are some people who are great, mm-hmm. and you have, we have a lot to learn from them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I would really love to see people from non-traditional agricultural backgrounds getting their feet in the water of agriculture. Right, um, yeah. And that's happened on, like, the produce side, but, mm-hmm. like, that's, how do I say this? Sometimes that's the more, like, having a grateful dead theme CSA. Yeah. Um, and I would really <laughs> love to see some non-traditional people get into agriculture. Yeah. Um, and start, you know, I, I think that has a potential to change the industry and have an overall positive effect on the industry. Yeah, like fresh blood is good for everybody. Like if you think about it, ag I feel like is one of the few places where you can leave, but you can't get in. You know, and that's not healthy for anything. No, it's not. And uh, you can rent. You know, there, 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 there are feet in the door. I keep, you know, one thing like I would tell young people who are, you know, I met many young people who are just like, I would like to farm. I'm like, hey. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of ag-related jobs that you can get from managing a farm to managing a ranch, ranch to being a breeder, right. where the financial burden of ownership is not on you. Mm-hmm. You get to put money to Social Security. Mm-hmm. You know, there's value to taking home a check sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also, like, put money away and see what happens. You know, I had a young man who really likes farming. I said, like, hey, you can retire with a beef herd. You know, that's... If this is something you want to do, like, and, you know, you have this other job prospect that will be financially viable for you, like, there are ways for you to integrate farming within your life that's not solely relying on agriculture. I think, you know, there's this this myth around agriculture that, like, you know, it's what you do. It's, it's like your lifestyle. Right. Well, um, you start by buying and, land. And, <laughs> yeah, and there are other ways to, like, live tangentially with that mm-hmm. uh, or be a part of that. Yeah. Well, I guess, like, kind of going back to the, at least in produce, everybody who's in agriculture has 14 different side hustles. So, like, just start getting some of them ag-related side hustles. And, you know, um, <laughs> if you went to school at Cal Poly, that helps. Um, but there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of ways in, you know. So um, I feel like a lot of folks who, like, they want to farm, but they don't want to work in an ag-related job. Like, they don't want to, like, work in the conventional industry. And you're like, that's great. I respect that. But that would be a really good way to learn what's what's really going on and yeah, to like and that, that, you know. that, also, that is the industry like because i mean the conventional industry is the industry like you're dealing yeah. with what 85 percent of the industry mm-hmm. um and you're right you, it gets you an in because the thing is how does it the more you see the more you learn the more mm-hmm. you learn like oh that's something i do want to emulate that's something i don't want to emulate yeah. And even if you're, like, breeding, you get to go to all these different dairy farms and see their operation and be like, hey, that looks good, this is well managed, this is poorly managed. Mm-hmm. Like, you get experience from just going out there in the world and seeing that. Yeah. Yeah, like, working with farms has been such a huge education because, you know, it, while there are a lot of operations where you're like, okay, so now I know not to do that, you know? <laughs> There, yeah. there are a lot of farms where you really learn a lot. You're like, that is really slick. I love the way you guys do that. That's an elegant solution. Um, and even the folks where the operation has a lot of problems, there's usually at least a thing or two that you can pick up that's going well. So it's, I feel like there's really this feeling that like traditional ag is like tainted. And if I get too close to it, I'm also going to be tainted, you know, <laughs> which is yeah. just not a great way to learn and build, you know? No, and I think after, you have to realize, like, th- there are reasons why farms do things in a certain way. Like, farmers are not just like, I love Roundup, and we should all take showers in that. <laughs> like, there are, there are reasons why farmers have developed these techniques. And even if you all break outside of, like, uh, how we use pesticides, you need to understand why we use them in the first place. Yeah. And come up with solutions that are equally productive. Because you're not going to necessarily take a, a less financially viable solution. Yeah. Yeah, like, there's some, even if you don't agree with what, is being done to address this need. There is a need, you know, like there's a reason they're spraying something. So like figure out what that need is. Cause then you can kind of build on it. But if you just kind of like refuse to look at the whole system at all, because you don't like some parts, then you're just going to have a hard time moving forward. There's this giant, like, I don't know if this is like a national fight, but certainly in my region versus the, which is the soil conservation minded no-till farmers mm. versus the organic in which you kind of have to tell. Yeah. Um, and the conventional, but soil conservation, they're just like, no, go on the soil. And the, like, organic group is like, no, you're using pesticides. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's one of those things where both have very have valid points. Mm-hmm. Um, but, 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 but just to 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole, I'm really interested to see how that resolves. Cause you know, like in, in 20 years, there's going to be some kind of like hybrid model. Um, yeah. Probably. I mean, I'm interested, interested to see what it looks like. I mean, the problem with the organic label is that consu- it doesn't mean what consumers think it means. No. And it limits the people who are organic. It limits their their choices for management techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not always, like, a better technique just because you have, like, O on your label. Yeah. Um, and that's the same with dairy farming. You can't use antibiotics if you're doing organic animal agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um and one of my lines that I, this is actually, I do believe, is that, like, if my husband is sick, I will take him to the doctor and give him antibiotics. If I have a cow who has, like, a fever of 104 due to metritis, I'm not putting garlic in her vagina. Like, right. I am going to give her an antibiotic to help fight that infection. Mm-hmm. Um, I, try to be, I try to be conservative with my treatment. You know, one of my things is, is if I have a cow who's sick, but she's bright and eating, mm-hmm. To let her go. Because yeah. often, you know, when you're in town, you can't, you don't know what's going on. Like, being stabbed with a needle is more traumatic than just, like, let's see how, where you are in a day. Right. Um, but, you know, overall, I would rather keep my cow and make them healthier than either beef a cow or treat her in cellar. Yeah. Yeah, and those are like, yeah, those are trade-offs I wish we could talk some more about. So that's why we're here on this podcast, <laughs> talking about operational trade-offs and health. So, yeah, and I mean, like, um, I don't know, I, managing with your herd's health in mind is kind of like, um, like you've got to take care of them cows. And, <laughs> you know, like, sometimes that doesn't mean you can, like... I think folks don't understand, like, how much of organic, at least for livestock, is kind of based on, like, okay, well, this animal didn't fit. So, again, like you mentioned, they kind of get passed along the line, either beefed or sold to somebody else. And that can be really disruptive to them as well, both emotionally and just, like, health-wise from all the motion and, and disruption. Yeah, I, yeah I, don't, I don't think people quite – I don't quite understand what organic means for – for farms, for for, adam, for livestock, because uh, I think you know it's a different it's a different animal than plant. Well, animal it's a different uh, situation, situation than plant. Yeah. Um. And and I think it's good to be managing livestock with animal ethics in mind. Mm-hmm. I know the the idea of like you mainstream animals can get kind of a bad vibe from the agriculture community because they, they they hear that and think PETA, mm-hmm. but like. It's in everyone's best interest to have healthy cows because healthy cows produce. That was a whole lot about dairying and life from Rebecca Seidel. Rebecca, thanks so much for coming on. I know your time is super tight, so very much appreciate it. You can find Rebecca online at, uh, at Case in My Cells on Twitter. That handle is a cheesemaking reference. I will link her in the episode notes because it's not phonetic at all. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.